The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Road and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Welcome in to another edition of Kicking It. My name is Jeff Woody. We are here with Aiden White behind the producer board, behind the sticks, behind the mic. What's up? That's all we need from Aiden. Uh, and also here with Grant Mahoney. And uh, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. Just kicking it. Uh, uh-huh. uh, the people on the on the audio podcast can't see you deadpan to the camera. What? They can't see you... Uh, Jim from the office Just a plug to check out our YouTube so you can see our pretty smiling faces and this nice Drake Bulldogs hat. Go dogs! The first place Drake Bulldogs. Speaking uh, of first place, hey oh, hey oh! I only cover first place teams. Just That's saying. Right. Um, so we are presented by Kelber Manufacturing. As always, if it, uh, harvest season's over, but if harvest season was rough on your equipment, uh, you know where you'd go. If you need whether it's replace, repair, you want something done to a heavy machinery you have, go to Kelvin Manufacturing, good Cyclone fans down in Southeast Iowa. Uh, Iowa State with a 30-18 to 18 win over the Baylor Bears down in Waco. Um, that was sort of a, that sort of felt like a sleepwalk game. And when you can sleepwalk to a 12-point win, you're doing things all right. Yeah, when they, when Iowa State came out, what, four or five plays and then, scored like super easy i was like well this might be a <laughs> real ugly fun. game yeah it was real fun uh so yeah i was i didn't get to see the whole thing live and whenever so you know i joke about the drake hat so i do color with michael admire for the espn broadcasts for drake uh and if you listen to fart we talked about that for a decent amount i think everyone probably got sick of it because connor and i are, are are into it nobody else is into it but drake currently in first place and so we got to call another win where they just beat the living shit out of stetson which is not a cologne it is a school uh and they so that game gets done at maybe 3 3 15 and normally when that happens i just have the game on dvr but this on the espn plus app where this is well documented that i think the espn plus app is not good it's your Uh, samsung tv well samsung tv it literally won't let me so went to a laptop and also a phone it froze three times during live stream had to cancel the stream bring it back up uh iowa state to to, not to go too far from this iowa state will not have to worry about streaming issues because they are on big espn uh do we know the broadcasters for that one yet uh let me look it up okay uh but on big espn at 6 p.m uh that is going to be a hopped up environment we're also uh iowa state's also on espn for the byu game at, At nine o'clock, 15 put, put your jammies on, Jeff. <laughs> it's, uh, that's going to be one. You're going to watch that one and, you know, you take a nap during the day. I'll, that, be, I'll be in bed as I watch that game. That uh, I think the last time they had a 9 p.m. kick, a 9 p.m. central kickoff was UNLV back in 2021. And I that was actually the week that I got married and we got married in South Carolina, which is an hour ahead. So that game kicked off and it was a, f- f- was that a Saturday? Yeah, that was a Saturday night game. That game kicked off at 10, 15. And it's the week of a wedding, and it was a destination wedding. So there was, it was just one of those like rent a house things, and there's a bar in the house. And so all the cousins, aunts and uncles, whatever, the cousins went, the Aaron's cousin in law, it's cousin's husband, a great guy named Brad. He is, he went to Georgia Tech, 
And so he's a Georgia Tech fan, doesn't have any reason to root for Iowa State. So he was just bartending for all the rest of the Iowa State fans the entire time. So it was like 1 a.m. by the time that game got done. Super fun time because Iowa State won that a zillion to nothing. Uh, now, this game, I don't think this Kansas game isn't going to be a zillion to nothing. I don't think BYU is going to be a zillion to nothing. But that Baylor game, to, to come back to that, that was our, our niche is sort of special teams, sort of a special teams push. But just offensively and defensively, when your B-minus game can beat another opponent by two scores, that says a lot about where Iowa State is currently. You know, I, would, I wouldn't disagree that it was a special teams push, but Iowa State didn't really have any hiccups. It's true. Baylor did. I jinxed him, Jeff. I said he's perfect on the year, 11 for 11. He's now 11 for 12. Hey. Mother sucker. Uh, got him. You don't talk about a perfect game. I talked about it. Got his ass. <laughs> I, we just need to find something that some statistic that matters to the opponent. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter mm -hmm. what it is. Like perfect exchanges between the quarterback and the center all season. There it is. There you go. Watch for fumbles on Saturday evening. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the only thing that the only negative thing that happened for Baylor was obviously a blocked extra point, which not great especially when you're trying to get back into the game, you just score, uh, you know, it's after the interception at the very end of the first half, you just score, you're getting some momentum, you're going into halftime, you get the interception, that big white running back trucks his way through into the end zone. Things are, you're all hyped up. All 38 Baylor fans there are juiced. And then extra point gets blocked. I'm not even sure it was blocked. I think he drilled on the back of his. Oh, he did. Yeah, he, that's right. Yeah, he hit back, in the back, the back of, of his guy's head, which is like. I mean, nasty, nasty conditions. Do you think the the wetness had something to do with that? It didn't look like a clean operation. Like it looked like the it looked like their kicker like it wasn't a smooth approach at the ball. So I'm not exactly sure what happened if the if the holder kind of bobbled it, but uh, he just crushed the back of his guy's head. Poor guy. He probably got <laughs> not, not concussed, but didn't feel good. I'm sure. It's like it's like getting uh, rear-ended in bumper cars, where like it doesn't feel great, but it's not dangerous. It's just uncomfortable. No, I'm sure his lineman looked back like, "Hey, man, what the hell is that? What the hell, dude?" Uh, and then they inexplicably went for two at after they score a touchdown to get to bring it within two scores and then went for to bring it to with excuse me that was, was they were down what was it down 15 and then went for it on two so scored a touchdown brings it to within one score uh needs could either go for two later or go for two now they went for two now then missed it and we're down by nine iowa state scores another touchdown the game's basically over so caden who we got for broadcasters so it's a little early in the week so i don't think it's officially announced but basing it off of last week's seven o'clock espn kickoff it was joe tessator which uh, oh. i don't know if you guys remember a specific game well little, little joe tess like joe tess called big game joe uh and then blackledge Bachelor legend Jesse Palmer. Oh, Jesse Let's Palmer. Let's go. All right. And has Katie George as a sideline reporter. That handsome double Jesse Palmer. Again, that's nothing official. That's just me. That's probably so Herb Street and Fowler do They do ABC. ABC. They do the ABC night game. Yep. And then the big ESPN is going to be the number two. And did Blackledge move to I think Blackledge moved to NBC. They, so Todd Blackledge used to be the number two. I think he moved to yeah. NBC because I, I remember him calling one of like the the weird NBC Big Ten night games. Uh because the whole, all the renegotiations. But I mean, Palmer's fine. Jesse right. Palmer, I'm, I'm. Joe Tess is great. Growing up, I was a big Bachelor fan. So I've watched The Bachelor for a long time. I stopped more recently because, like, I know you don't care about this. I don't. But, um, I do. I love The Bachelor. But, like, the, the, the girls go on there now and they just want to be like Instagram. Like, it sucks. Golden Bachelor now, though. I haven't started it. What? There's only, like only eight episodes. I mean, it's, it's people in their golden ages. It's great. Is that guy 72? Looks, might, I mean, he handsome he might be. double. Yeah, yeah. The, the, he's all, he's all, from all the Iowa, way. isn't he? 
No, Ohio, I think. No, I think he's originally from Iowa. Oh, wow. Like, he might be from he's Ohio. Salt, salt of the earth dude, though. His name's Gary. Just Unfortunately, he's a Hawkeye fan. For real? For real. I'm done watching it, dude. The finale. Oh, only like eight episodes. I'm sure they're like, oh, this is going to be any good or not. It was great, though. Super nice guy. Like, yeah. But yeah, he's a 72, and all the, all the contestants are all like mid-60s to early 70s. So, I don't even care, but it's... It's it's quality programming. It's people who are truly trying to find love, except you know, instead of the the normal bachelor, which is you got these catty girls that are just on there to get Instagram famous. That they're not there to find love. They're just there to win and get their Instagram followers up. And get their Instagram followers up. So, uh, Jesse, Jesse so anyway, Jesse Palmer is potentially calling the game. Which yeah, it's a uh, hey, Joe Tess is great. Any game Joe Tess is calling is a, it sounds more impactful. That it doesn't really matter what the game is. Like it's like a twenty seven point win by I don't know UAB and Joe Tess would be calling it. I'm locked in. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. But I don't, I mean, we're going to spend more time on the Baylor game on fart, but we do, we do need to cover hidden yards because it's really, it's not as, it's not as much fun this week. Uh, hidden yards. What do we got? So hidden yards as a reminder for those, um, it is how many yards does one team need to gain to get to where the other team started? So if your team starts on the 30, my team starts in the 20, I need to gain 10 yards to where to just get to where you started and then just accumulate that, accumulate that over the course of a game. And that is the total hidden yardage. And so you exclude drives that you're not trying to advance the ball. So exclude any kneel downs, which Iowa State had two kneel downs at the end of each half, one to end the game, one to end the first half. So those don't count because they're not actively trying to gain yards. So total hidden yardage, Iowa State plus or minus what? So total yardage period for the game, Iowa State had 400 on the dot. Nice. And Baylor had 306. I'm going to say that... um, Let's see. They had a shanked punt, 16 yards, an absolute boomer, which helped us. Um, I'm going to say that Iowa State had 85 yards of hidden yardage. Advantage? Yes. Aiden? I was going to go 70. It is 33 yards. That's it. Baylor in the advantage. So here's the reason is they had one extra drive because you have – there was Baylor had 12 drives. Iowa State had 11 drives. If you're talking about total yardage, Baylor actually had 33 additional yards that Iowa State didn't need to gain, which is why it was more, again, it was more or less a special teams push, which I think when, uh, like, I was watching the Chiefs game on Sunday, and there was, I mean, Denver beat Kansas City for the first time since, like, 1963. And the one of the plays that happened is literally when I was discussing kind of punt coverage necessity, which was if a player calls a fair catch and a valid fair catch, we're not going to do any more of that. They call valid catch hand overhead balls up in the air. They call that a fair catch. The first guy down you're there. It's not just like go huddle around the guy. Like there's actual specific things that you're trying to do. So if a guy calls a fair catch and the punter is hung it up high enough that you can actually get down there in coverage. First guy goes and sits in front of where the halo would be. So like you get a yard, between the shoulders of the body of the returner and then one yard forward from that, you cannot be in that because that's violation of the the personal space, the halo rule, the ability to receive the catch. So one guy stands right in front of it. The next guy down stands behind it because if the ball squirts away, then it doesn't, you don't know if it's going forward or going backwards. So then you have a guy covered on both sides. And then once, once and if the ball hits the ground, one guy's responsibility is to get on the ball. Another guy's responsibility is to tackle the returner, essentially to pull him away from where the ball is. Denver executed that perfectly and that play switched the, the the game was still fairly close at that point as I recall I think it might have been a seven point game between Denver and Kansas City muff a punt Denver executes that I mean to a to a T and 
after that happens, Denver scores another touchdown, game goes two scores, whole thing's split. And like that, it felt like that game was the Denver-Kansas City game was really exciting because these big things happened and these unexpected change of possession things on special teams happened. And not to come back to the Baylor and Iowa State game and say that it was boring, but it was good boring. There wasn't really a lot that happened that was like, wow. I mean, Bramer had a couple nice receptions. Uh, Norton had a hell of a touchdown run. Higgins had a great touchdown reception. Uh, Verdun had a nice pick. But like all those things felt like it was sort of in the routine of the offense. And again, just which makes me feel comfortable going into this into the back portion of the season as the schedule ramps up a little bit in intensity that Iowa State's B minus game can still get a win, which means when you're playing against a team like Kansas, you don't need to be perfect to beat Kansas, even though they beat just beat Oklahoma. I would say, too, this might have been Rocco's worst performance as a starter. It wasn't a bad performance, but he missed. Iowa wasn't good. But Iowa wasn't good, yeah. Yeah, but, but that's but also missed, playing Iowa. Yeah, but but as far as like he's, you know, his progression has been ramped up and he takes a step back, which is which is fine. He's a freshman. I mean, and it's the, it was soaking wet. Yeah, so given the conditions and, you know, he missed. And I wasn't a quarterback, so I'm not sure what it's like to throw a wet ball, but he missed two wide open receivers, could have gone for two more touchdowns. Yeah, Daniel Jackson had one that was wide open, and the Higgins had one as well. The uh, and Higgins had one, and there's also a, a the interception was kind of looked like it slipped out of his hand, kind of thrown it over the middle. I don't remember who he was trying to get it to, maybe Jalen Knoll. Um, but ball slipped high, and there's the interception. So like he wasn't great. But to be honest, it's it's good to have a, a bad game now, learn from those because we do our the schedule does ramp up these next four. And games. you still get a win. And you still get a win. And other guys stepped up that like I, I'm so happy for Norton, man. He's been hurt his really his entire time he's been here and to have a, a good game like he had to see him pull away from guys too. It's like, yeah, hey, I thought this guy had a piano was back the whole time. Jokes on me. Dude's kind of got some wheels. Yeah. Too bad. Everyone thought that he couldn't run fast shouting. just, I'm calling that to every single person who st- said that he was too slow to play. I mean, I'm not necessarily like the Car- Cartavius Norton apologist. Like he has mi- missed a good number of reads, but like to say that he can't outrun somebody it's a 49 yard play. That's about as long as a run is going to be. I'm not trying to dog the guy, but like on his, on that run, he was, he was scooting, but he's kind of around like, you know, like if like a dog's like trying to bite your butt, you're just kind of like, Oh, I got like, <laughs> tuck, that's, tuck that's, your hips yeah, up a little bit. Kind of, kind of pinch your butt cheeks and go like, that's kind of how hey, it's it was about going. Drive, like, man. Huh? He's, it's all about just your knees up. That's right. I mean, a dude was scooting. I was happy to see it. He, I mean, he had a good game. I think, um, that first, that first touchdown by Higgins was, you know, the, the, the announcers, those guys were brutal. Yeah, they were brutal. Yeah, they, were to, they were trying to they were trying to dog that throw on Rocco, but I'm like, I think he put it right where he needed to, and Higgins, you know, put it out it's, there. Okay, let so this guy make it make, make a play. It was a throw. It was in. It was a throw to the inside, which on a fade ball, a lot of times you don't want to leave that ball inside of the defender because best case scenario for you is your guy goes to make a play. Most likely scenario is the guy can just turn around and bat it down. But if you leave it inside, mo- no DB is going to be playing an outside technique down the field. They're going to be playing an inside technique, meaning that it's going to be defender, offensive player, sideline in that order. And so if you leave the ball inside, it, it the increases your chances. However, if the guy's not looking, then you can throw the you can leave the ball inside because if he's not looking, it's going to be a PI or he you can't cover what you can't see. So he's not looking at the ball to see it. But like. I just want to say one thing about the broadcasters because like uh, the thing I feel bad for them a little bit, but I also think that it's self-imposed. So they're new. Sure. And I'm also new. I've I've, I've been doing 
high school games for a couple of years for MediaCom and then doing actual college games for two years. So I'm not saying like I'm a grizzled veteran, but preparation goes into it where you have to understand enough of what the roster is that they give you a pronunciation guide is go through that ahead of time. Like know where the playmakers are going to be. And you don't necessarily even get game film. Like you'd have to potentially ask the SIDs. Sometimes they'll give you some, sometimes they won't. Uh, sometimes it's on accessible TV or the big 12. Every game is accessible. You could just go back and watch one or two or three games. Uh, but just didn't have like the, when the pronunciation wasn't right, that, that feels like it's a lack of preparation because they literally give you a sheet that says like, it would be spelled Bo F R E E space L E R Bo Freeler. Got it. That's how you pronounce it. Then you say it that way. Just so you know how that's done. Now I've screwed up a couple names myself and it's usually like the Drake is up 35 points against somebody or down 55 points to somebody else. And there's like a backup safety who makes a pass breakup and you're from like Russia and you're and like, you're like oh. I don't there's 13 syllables in this name. I didn't check the pronunciation guide of the fourth string safety. So I'm going to do my best. You ever say his first name? <laughs> and that's a breakup by Tom. Great job, Tom. Good job, Tom. <laughs> Try it. <That's> <laughs> just to see. Just really screw with some Timmy. Yeah, it's, just, uh, it's his nickname is Timmy. Call him. It's guys call him. Lean into it. The Ames. His friends call him Timmy Tom. <laughs> Timmy Tom on the breakup. Just make up anything. No, but that was, that was, yeah, it was, it was harder to watch. But yeah, I mean, they also, at one, this is another little behind the curtain. Sometimes I'll get down on myself because, like, how do you, how do these guys know and can you pick out exactly what was going on? You know, they have this great camera angle of a, of a linebacker making a, a, you know, scraping over the top of something. And there's 12 guys in there, 22 guys in the field. How do you know which one to watch to pull that out? Well, guys like Herb Street and guys like Collinsworth and the ones that are way up there, like the production team underneath them is like 30 people. So they've got a camera trained on every single one and the producer's really experienced. So he can say like, as the play is going on, it'll be like, and Jackson to the 15, to the 10, five, touchdown, celebration, leave the camera on, pan around the celebration. Well, while that's going on, the color guy is getting a replay and the producer in his ear is going, hey, we got a linebacker, you know, left side of your screen linebacker scraping over the top and then you get to see it one time then you get a call like then you get a recall the play and so like that's a well-oiled machine on like the nbc sunday night broadcast collinsworth also been doing it for like 25 years but still like you get a producer in your ear understand how to that on the espn plus broadcast the resources aren't there to do that so it's probably just like one producer in the truck directing the cameras and directing the replays and directing the commercials and directing when local commercial breaks and all that kind of stuff so they don't have the same kind of like replay call up they don't have here's where this thing is going hey by the way this receiver's out they don't have all that but yeah just uh, it was just an unprepared I, I think those producers had also covered baylor last week so that's why they kind of sounded like they're maybe a little more in favor of baylor because they were just more familiar with them um but yeah the the, the pronunciation there was one where bramer had a, had a catch and like great catch by steve o'clots and i was like they're not built the same their number's not even close <laughs> to being the same what are we doing here, guys? Oh, man. Jeff's least favorite player, Malik Verndon. Verndon. Yep, Malik Verndon. Good player. Ver you, Verdon. Oh, were you a fan of him? Yeah. I had no idea. Big, again, I'm coming for you, Williams. I'm coming for you. I don't you. think you ever mentioned him before, come to think of it. Speaking of, smack of, you in the face. of of Verndon, though, um, hopefully Cooper's okay. He didn't, he didn't play much the fourth quarter. I think he got dinged up a little bit. So. Yeah, uh, I, I will say, so if Ben Nickel has to play... Playing Cooper's position is better 
than playing Verdun. Verdun? Verdun? There you go, Verdun. Vadern. Vadern's Malik Vadern. You're calling a Drake game right now. Verdun. Verdun. Malik. Good play by Malik. What's his name? Ver Verdun? Is that how you pronounce it? Just make something up. <laughs> uh, Malik Vehicle. Anyway, so if he's playing Jeremiah Cooper's position, it's going to be much better than playing Malik Verdun's because he doesn't have as much run responsibility. They are there, but he's primarily going to be back one of the coverage guys. He's not going to be as up in the box. So Ben Nickel is a good or fine cover safety. He is not great in the run. The downside is that Kansas is going to run a lot. Now, I didn't get to watch the Kansas game, so this is just going off like the stat sheet. Um, Kansas looked good in the running game, but their defense still for the second year in a row is kind of trash. Yeah, so the the key... I mean, just just I was just gonna looking at you know Kansas throughout the throughout the year. The two games that they've lost, they've rushed for under thirty attempts a game. So they want to run the ball, um, but the games that they have lost, they've gotten down early. So I think the key for Iowa State is get up early, get a, a, a 14, 17 point lead, which I know is easier said than done. Make them throw the ball, and I think Iowa State's got a much um, would have a much more comfortable game as opposed to having it be a shootout back and forth because they are going to try to run the ball. Uh, I know that Lance Leipold had Leipold, right? Leipold, mm. Leipold, Lance. 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 Good job, Lance. <laughs> I know Lance had said that um, Jalen Daniels may not be ready. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm buying it. You know, I, I, I think you always got to go in preparing obviously for both. I think Jason Bean's a good quarterback too, though. But Jason Bean can run. He can't, I mean, he was 15 of 32 with two interceptions passing. So I'm saying we want to make them, I would say we should make them, which I know it's easier said than done, but pass the ball. And they've been good at stopping the run this year. Yeah. And we're going to talk to Michael Swain um, with who covers Kansas uh, later in the episode to talk more about Kansas itself. But just so we'll, we'll, I think as far as like the, the preparation of the game, the only thing we'll do before I think before we actually get him on is that I think this is going to be a test for Kansas to be able to recover from that adrenaline because your big noon kickoff, you have everything, all the attentions there. You're playing Oklahoma. It's a home game. You win this last second, you know, because Oklahoma had a chance to win that game. If they just get there, they had a Hail Mary at the end, basically from like the 25 yard line. So it wasn't even a Hail Mary. It was like a hope this works. And they almost got the reception. They would have won the game, but you escape, storm the field, you throw the goalposts in the river, and now you got to come back and do it again. And the team, but not, that, but not just do it again. You have to do it in Ames against a team that's just about as good as the team that you just played uh, on the road at night. And so, like the, on primetime TV, on prime time, so like probably the, with fireworks, the, probably in the black uniforms. Probably, I mean, it, the energy is going to be wild, and you have to be able to match that. And so, like it, recovering from all that adrenaline is a really difficult thing to then get back into the rhythm of practice to say like, all right, we need to have this intensity again. Well, you just had about as you had a hundred percent. You're not going to have a hundred percent again, but can you make sure that it's not an 80? Because if Kansas comes in flat, Iowa state came, played the game against Baylor pretty much flat and still won by two scores. It's not saying that Iowa state are world beaters because they still have their mistakes, but this it's a solid team now that you can expect both offensive defensive and special teams wise can Kansas keep their shit together and 
not come out with a hangover game. And if I'm Iowa State, I feel a lot better about that because they had their hangover game. They had a bye week. They didn't, they, I mean, they, they started the game great. They're up 17, nothing, but like they had to sleepwalk through the whole thing and they had a half effort game. Again, not saying it's half effort, but you know what I mean? Like it's a game that they weren't sharp, still managed to win. And now you can have that correction in film coming off a W as opposed to all your energy expenditure goes into beating Oklahoma now, I, that's why I feel more confident about Iowa State than I otherwise would have. So, like, I'm glad, I think, for Iowa State's sake, that Kansas won in the way that they did. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to come off of, like, an emotional, huge emotional victory like that. Um, and then, like you said, come back on the road, especially in, in the environment they're going to they're gonna come into, and repeat that performance. You know, not saying that Iowa State's Oklahoma, but just put together. A, a, I don't think they're that far off. I honestly don't think they're that far off. Now? Now. Yeah. I, and I, I think one of the other things, this is sort of a, a kind of side diatribe, and then we'll we'll bring in, bring in Michael. But One, one thing I do want to say okay. before we bring in Michael, but you, can, you continue. So one of the things that is interesting that I, I kind of want to get out of the way a little bit is that at the beginning of the season, everybody thought that Texas and Oklahoma were like head and shoulders above everybody else. And even a little bit to this extent, when Oklahoma was playing Iowa State, you were like, man, that was pretty damn good. But I, th- I don't remember if we said it on here and I don't want to like say like a, you know, without receipts. So like if someone called me out, if, if someone heard something different, but Oklahoma's offense is as efficient as Dylan Gabriel will be. And if he isn't hyper efficient, which they had three turnovers on Saturday, if they're not hyper efficient, if they don't play an A plus, if he doesn't play an A plus game, that offense is okay. And now still they scored 33. They could have potentially won that game. Kansas can run the ball, but you score at the turn the ball over three times against a team that likes to run the ball as much as Kansas does. You're setting yourself up for failure. So Oklahoma being head and shoulders above the rest is true when they're sharp. Their best is way better than other people's best in the same way that Texas is. Texas's best is better than everybody else's best, but how often can you expect that best to show up? That's the thing that I think people overestimate is that they look at the potential and they'll say, wow, Texas is talent. And when they're clicking, they are really hard to beat. Well, yeah, but they also have to be clicking for that to happen, which is why a team like Texas or Oklahoma or Kansas State, I would say to me, Kansas State is the more dangerous one at the moment because their floor is also a lot higher than the other team's floor where Texas's floor is really low. Like if they end up trying to fight themselves, you know, they beat the shit out of BYU this weekend. They're so also on their backup quarterback. now, Right. But if they, so they, who's good, their floor is down because they can start infighting. They've shown that not necessarily this year, but in seasons past Oklahoma's floor is what we saw against Kansas, which they still almost won the game. It's pretty decent, but Kansas state's, uh, with that Avery Johnson, I think it's Avery Johnson. Is that the kid's True the quarter, quarterback, yeah. the quarterback's name? With a, as a change of pace, whenever they need some kind of a jump to bring him in, that provides a different angle for this offense. Now, last thing about Kansas State before we kind of move on to what you wanted to mention. I can kind of transition into Kansas State one thing, too. I got, now I have two things, but go. Okay. Uh, that's a tease. So um, with Kansas State, having a guy like Avery Johnson, they've – their, their last two games, they've won by a combined 82 to three, which is impressive. And it's when you look at it, it's sort of the new new quarterback who don't know what you like type thing. Whereas they by the time Iowa State gets them, somebody would have slowed down Kansas State's offense. So it's not like you're going to be expecting to score 41. Uh, so 
I, I th this is all sort of a long-winded way of saying, I think the top of the conference is closer than a lot of people are really giving it credit for because there's five one-loss teams right now. There will be a maximum of three at the end of this week because Kansas State and Texas play each other, one loss. Uh, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma play each other, each with one loss, and Iowa State plays Kansas. So if Iowa State wins and the winner of those other ones, those are going to be the three one-loss teams at the end of this weekend. So there's a maximum of three that are going to be left. So Iowa State's in a good position, and I don't think that you can look around the conference and be like, man, there's no way. Like, at the beginning of the season, everyone's like, oh, no way we touch Texas. Are you sure? Like, what makes you say that now after having watched the bigger chunk of the season? It feels like the top of the conference is a lot closer than people are going to give it credit for. And you hit on one of my points. I was going to say it's a big slate uh, big slate this weekend. So, yeah, I mean, Iowa State, obviously Kansas. Um Kansas State and Texas, so that's two teams that are tied for first place as well. And then Bedlam, I mean, anything can happen in Bedlam. Oklahoma State's playing really well right now. Oklahoma's coming off a loss, so how do they Got rebound? back and go. Is it Ollie, Ollie Gordon? Gordon? Ollie yeah. Gordon, he's leading the, leading the nation in rushing. Didn't like he two, have like 280 yards yeah. or something like he that? He went crazy against West Virginia. Yeah. It was and, like, and against, uh, most recently, against Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. In the second half, he had like 150 yards in the second half. Well, Against West Virginia, it was something similar to that where he had like 90 yards or something going in the fourth quarter, and then he blew up for like 200 in the fourth quarter alone. 282, 282 versus West Virginia, and then versus Cincinnati, he had 271. Yeah. Kid can get it. Almost 600 yards. What, what, what year is two he? Games? He's a redshirt freshman or a true sophomore, right? I think he's a true sophomore. True sophomore. Yeah. So Iowa State was big on him. I know that. There's reasons why. Yep. So the, the last thing I'll say, then we can dive into Michael Swain. Um, I want to put an asterisk. I'm going to go back uh, a few weeks and put an asterisk next to something we had talked about. I'm um, talking about Tyler Perkins, perked by the pound, coming back down to earth, saying, that, oh, he's not human. He's a robot. And we saw in the TCU game, he was human. Skirt. Asterisk next to that. Uh, a little birdie had told me that, and it makes sense, that the Iowa State used new balls in that game. And new balls are hard. They're hard to kick. They are more oblong-shaped. Um, and so in that game, Perkins only averaged 34 yards per punt, which is very uncharacteristically of him. Um, he has averaged about 43-ish yards per punt per game, so he's about 10 yards. So I want to apologize to him for that if he's listening because get that game out of here. I'm back on the All-American train. Okay, so can we just break that down for a second for most people that don't really process the fact that like it, a football is a football, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yes and no. It can It can change shapes as it gets broken in and – a new football at the seams um, is very hard. So a new football at the seams in cold, it's like kicking a rock. Brutal. And so a new ball in, in and of itself, though, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's harder because it's not it's not beat in. It's not broken in. Um, and so the, in the kicking and punting game is really where you're going to see a big difference in it. And Contreras missed a, a field goal in that one, too. Um, but he's a dog, so he only went two for three. Um, well, one thing just like about footballs that – well, the, the construction of a football, and I think this is something that people might not understand, there are balls labeled kicking balls, and they are old and beaten up. They are horrible put the, put to play with. Machines. They are horrible to, to use with your hands. And they are wonderful to kick with. We call them balloon balls. So as there's a line that to keep, it's not just like a slap of leather and you push some air in it. There's some like a liner underneath the inside of it to keep the air tension the, the right amount. Uh, well, as they get kicked or put through the jugs machine or just over time, they get, you know, whatever, pushed in an equipment truck and 
put set stuff on top of well as that pressure kind of hits it it stretches out that liner and so if you were to look at the kicking footballs they're the same brand like they're all nike footballs uh i think is what i I think i would say uses nike football still and like the diameter of a new ball is i don't know let's say it's 11 inches i'm sure there's a statistic that like it's actually whatever it's 11 at 12 inches of the diameter of the ball that from point to point it's still the same well as the you kick it more now the diameter is like 13 14 inches so it's more like a rugby ball than it is and there are no points and there's no more points so like the ability like the margin for error then goes up because it's a lot flatter of a surface that you're kicking as opposed to a more angular surface so if it's a smaller diameter it's a smaller circle if you're one half a centimeter to the right on your foot with a a tighter ball that ball is going to go way off to the side versus if you have a flat surface you're kicking it's going to be much more directed so yeah like kicking balls are different and so when they have on the sidelines for those that are weird enough to actually pay attention to watching the ball cycle in and out on any kicking play that is different. So whether it's a punt or a field goal kick play like on a third down stop. So uh, this weekend, Kansas, it's third and seven and they go to pass. They get sacked. It's third and 13 or it's now fourth and 13 obvious punting down. They are for sure punting. Watch that. Just play follow the football. That ball is going to get brought to a referee. Referee is going to toss it to the sideline to a guy who is just has like an orange jacket on or a blue jacket with an orange check. He's going to put that ball in a bucket or in his little like a a caddy little pouch and then take out another one and throw it back in. And so that's just to get rid of the throwing footballs or the game footballs and to get in the kicking ones. And I don't think you're going to be able to spot it from a distance. Just watch how much dingier they are. Well, yes and no. So I remember that um, my sophomore year, I think it was, Arnaud would pick out eight balls a game, whatever it was. He'd, he'd pick out the eight balls from all of the footballs that Iowa State had and say, these are the eight balls that I want to to use. Yeah, and the, the quarterback game. usually gets to choose that. And like the backup quarterback gets to choose like one or two. And I would always tell him like, hey, get some balloon balls in there. He said, no, I hate I hate passing with those. And I said, well, I hate kicking with these, you know, these football-shaped footballs. <laughs> I, want, I want a rugby-shaped football. So not always will you get a kicking ball in the game for a kick. Um, but I will say, and then this is the last thing we can, we can dive into the, the interview. Um, Randy Bullock was the kicker at Texas A&M won the, the Groza in either 2010 or 2011. He must've told the ball guy on the side, Hey, only put in these balloon balls because the balls exploded off of his foot and he won the Groza. Which? So I blame our, uh, our sideline guys for not putting in balloon balls whenever I played. That's why I didn't win the Groza. Definitely was not because I wasn't talented enough. What a joke. Uh, okay. So with that, we're going to bring in, uh, Michael Swain. He is covering Kansas football. Uh, this is going to be the goldfinch athletics guest. goldfinch athletics. What we got going on right now. We are, uh, heading into winter. And if you are heading into winter, that means we're heading into kind of sedentary season, not able to go for as many walks bulk season, bulk, uh, uh, good bulk season. If you want to do it on purpose, it's not great bulk season. If you do it on accident. So if you're looking for a way to get some exercise, shoot us an email. Uh, it's Jeff at goldfinchathletics.com or go to goldfinchathletics.com to hit up any adult fitness. If you're looking for your child to get more youth speed access or speed and acceleration training, the same thing, goldfinchathletics.com. That is Goldfinch Sports Performance would be the program for them. So anyway, uh, we're going to bring on Michael Swain to talk about Kansas football. Kick it! All right, now we welcome in a gentleman who used to drink the great water of Ames. Hooray. <laughs> and now he waves the wheat for Kansas athletics and covers Kansas for 247 Sports. We've got Michael Swain in the house. Michael, how are you? 
doing great doing great thank you guys so much for having me on i'm loving the I'm loving the studio you guys got heck yeah man it's a nice studio Wild rose casino resort studio they hook us up with it pretty Fuel, decent fueled by cody road yes there we yes. go yeah so perfect yeah we, we appreciate you jumping off this michael um obviously yeah, i used to cover iowa state now you cover kansas um good time to to cover kansas they uh good in basketball good in football now um but we are talking football on kicking it here um let's dive right into it um coming off a big win um off of off of oklahoma it's got to feel really good for for mm-hmm. the kansas team what are the spirits like right now obviously it's only monday so and we, also we, is the goalpost still in the water so the goalpost is not in the water i actually know some people that went and fished it out and i think it's uh or at least a portion of it is somewhere in one of the fraternity houses um nice. at KU. so <laughs> i know some, some guys that, that went and did that but you know i think everyone's really excited you know so much of this season has been about i think realizing that hey kansas is legit in terms of just being a consistent like competent program where i think the way last year played out right where five and oh start and then they lose and then they get the eligibility, and then they lose even more like for so much of the season it was a question of okay is this real can this be sustainable and to make back-to-back bowl games for the second time in program history this is a program that before this recent decade stretch of just being incompetent had a winning record all time but making consistent bowl games was just not a thing that happened and to now do this i think fans are really really excited about you know what they've kind of got going on yeah one another interesting thing is that most of the success this season has come with a backup quarterback do you what information and i'm sure you you've written about this at some point jalen daniels he's he's gonna play but he's not gonna play and then he's healthy but he's kind of not healthy then they're gonna redshirt him but they're not gonna redshirt him he's eligible he's gonna what's the deal with the quarterback's situation and what would you say the odds of jalen daniels playing on saturday is yeah so you know this all kind of goes back to the beginning of the season where preseason camp starts and and Jalen tweaks his back, I think, the second week of camp. And then he misses about more or less a month where the first game week of this season, Missouri State week, he really starts to ramp up but didn't get the practice reps to start the game. So Jason Bean starts the game. Jalen is technically available to play. If KU was in like an upset situation and Jason gets a concussion or something like Jalen would have been able to go in. Well, then he plays the next three games, right? KU beats Illinois. They go on the road, they beat Nevada, and then they go um, back home and, and beat BYU. And then Texas happens where the, the, what we're being told is that that morning he wakes up and he has tweaked his back again. And he had been managing this back injury throughout the course of the season. You look at the Illinois game, and there are a couple of times when he's getting up off the turf and you can see that he's getting up gingerly. So it is legit in terms of the, the, the actual back injury. Now we're in this point where he is working his way back and we just passed the month mark. So if we want to go back to the start of this, we're now at the point where he was starting to ramp up. And so it's now a question of when is that time that he actually goes back in the game? Because if you were at David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium on Saturday, you would have seen Jalen Daniels warm up. He was out on the field. He was throwing pregame. Granted, not super well, right? He wasn't out there th- ripping throws. There wasn't a ton of torque, but he was out there throwing. And so it seems like he is inching his way back. But with the back injury, it's hard to kind of predict what it's going to do. So playing this week doesn't seem like that is overly likely, but Lance Leipold's also kind of like a Matt Campbell. He's very secretive with his injuries. So I have a feeling that Leipold's going to come out one of these weeks and say, oh, yeah, Jalen's not playing this week, and then Saturday he'll play. 
It's yeah. going to be this Saturday. Yeah. He's yeah. going to throw for 300 and four touchdowns. <laughs> you know, and so we'll see what, what day that is. I don't know who the unlucky team is. It will be Iowa State, Texas Tech, K-State. But it seems like Jalen will play again for Kansas this year. And we're getting closer to that. But I don't know if this is the week it happens. Yeah, and so the thing with Jason Bean, like, he's not a great quarterback, but he's a good offensive uh key to make stuff work so like scoot he was 15 for 32 with two picks this Mm -hmm. past week but he had this really long touchdown Mm -hmm. run that only he could have done like he might be the fastest quarterback in the country and the ability he has to make runs happen is sometimes negated by his decision making in the or or capacity in the passing game what is the kansas fans relationship with Jason Bean because he's the backup quarterback, best job in the world, yeah. uh, but he's now had to play for a while, so now he's not the backup anymore, and he's sort of like in this hit or miss. So what? Yeah, what is the Kansas fans' relationship to Jason Bean? It's hit or miss. Did did he throw an interception on the last drive, or did he lead a touchdown drive? That that is how much this relationship fluctuates. And you know, with Jason, you have seen growth since that game in Ames two years ago where he he fumbles the ball off his leg looks out of his depth like this is a different quarterback than Iowa State fans saw two years ago at the same time it's still a guy that struggles with decision making like if you go back to the last two games in the fourth quarter you look at Oklahoma State he throws two awful picks just awful and he makes even more dangerous throws on top of that and then you go to this Oklahoma game and look guys like he made the plays in the end, but the two drives previous, like they were bad interceptions. And so I look at him, it's the ultimate backup quarterback where there are good moments, bad moments, and you're really just hoping you're getting the good moment at the end of the game. And so we'll see. And I think too, you mentioned the, you mentioned the rushing attack, like that's been good with him. He doesn't like to run though. And if you saw the play where he slides at the goal line, he slid at the goal line. When was the last time you ever saw a player do that? That wasn't like an intentional, we're going to bleed clock here. He could have ran into the end zone, but it involved taking a hit. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't do it. And so that for me is kind of the big thing where Jalen Daniels has no issue taking hits. And maybe that's why he yeah, gets injured so often. Yeah. You know, but Jason's very protective of himself. And I think he also knows that if he goes down, it's a true freshman walk on that's coming on the field. That, that's so, what I was going to ask you too. Is, yeah. is, is he kind of, um, not afraid to get hit, but is he very like if, if he has a chance to step out of bounds, is he going to do that as, as opposed to get two more extra yards? Totally, totally. And I think he's I think that's a who Jason is as a quarterback and B, I think it's a situation and Jason's smart. He knows that he is the last resort right now. And if he gets hurt, it's it's going to be bad. You know, it's not going to be great because you're asking a guy that was in high school last year to come out and play in a big 12 game when KU's playing in competitive games. It's not like KU's getting blown out. Like, yeah, this, this game is a big game. ESPN. Like this is going to be the environment up in Ames. And like, I don't, cause what was your last year of covering? I covering Iowa state it was 2020, 21, 21. Yeah, so when everyone so, came back. Yeah. So like it, I, cause the, was the stadium still restricted then? Or was it, was it, and that was also the year of the Brock Purdy Brees and they kind of underachieved a little bit, but yeah. like the night games, over the last five or six years have been hot games. I mean, super energetic. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. If, if there's a red shirt or a true freshman kid that has to come into that environment. Too. Hey, don't talk shit about walk-ons. No, I'm not, not <laughs> at all, but I'm just saying that that's an intimidating, I'm not talking to That's an intimidating you are. Uh, environment. You are. I'm taking a No, you're right though. And like, that's my biggest concern for this game. KU's not been great on the road. Like there's no two ways about it here. Like I wrote about it on our website this week. Like KU has not had a good start on the road since November of 2021. 
Think about that. Like I wasn't covering the team. So, you know, it's been a long time. And so for me, that's a big concern I have going into this game. Like if they get down and this crowd gets going, like that's tough to overcome. Especially because they don't like to throw, especially without Jalen Daniels. Like you have to throw your way back into the game and a team, especially like with Iowa State secondary, that would be a rough recipe to overcome because I think Iowa State is second in the conference uh, in interceptions and the team that was first in the conference picked them off twice last week. Now, granted, they gave up a zillion points because Oklahoma then turned the ball over. But at the same time, Kansas so far this year has run for 1,700 yards through eight games, which is wild. That's 200 yeah. plus a game. And how, I mean, so here's my, my assessment of it. And I haven't, uh, honestly haven't watched a ton of Kansas football this year so far. Devin Neal gives me serious David Montgomery vibes in that he's a guy who is just, physically hard to take down it's mm-hmm. like he's an explosive runner but he's not like four two explosive he's like four four explosive but he's a truck to try and tackle who walking through the rest of kind of the running game because yeah. I, I don't think it's anything like exact it's not like an air force triple option it's just they execute the run game really well in their reads and pulls what other guys does do iowa state fans need to watch and sort of the style of their running game because that is kansas football yeah. is running the ball yeah, they are. And I think it starts with the offensive line. And I know this is something that Iowa State fans have talked about this year, right? With the offensive line they have and maybe an inability to run the ball consistently. KU has developed a really good line where these guys execute and they do a very, very good job of it. You look at what they did against Oklahoma and the amount of pancakes they had just off leverage. Like Kansas offensive line does not have a bunch of NFL guys. It's purely knowing where you need to be, where your hands need to be, and then executing the blocks. And they're able to really, really open up some holes. And you mentioned, right, Devin Neal's really explosive. I think he's shown a different change of pace than he has shown during his KU career. And so I think he's been so impressive. And Daniel Hyshaw for me is a the guy that brings the pop, the physicality to this running backs room. And I think he's the guy that because he's been healthy, Devin Neal has been able to not shoulder so much of the load. And it was obviously in this game last year that Hyshaw dislocated his hip again, and that ended up being a season-ending injury for him. And he's back, and he's being physical again. And so I think those two are really the, the key running backs. And I think Cave does such a great job of creating mismatches, right? I think you saw it a lot with Dylan Sainer and Kolar and a lot of those tight ends, right, uh, where they use motion to get those guys going and getting in the right angles to open up space. And that's exactly what Andy Kornecki is doing with these guys. And they've got a good offensive lineup there that really helps open up these holes where I've not looked at the numbers in the last two weeks, but through the first like four or five weeks of the season, like KU is near the top of the conference in terms of getting yards before contact where they had space to run into. And so they've been really, really good at that so far this year. Yeah. And I mean, just to finish that point and then Grant, you can ask Mm -hmm. what you're going to ask the, the, if you go down their leading rushers so far this year, yeah. as a testament to the offensive line, mm-hmm. Neal averaging 6.7 per carry, Hinch, or Highshaw <laughs> averaging 6.1 a carry, McDuffie averaging 5.5 a carry, Jason Bean averaging five yards a carry. That's mm-hmm. their top five rushers this season, all five of them averaging more than five yards a carry. That's not because all five are like exemplary ball carriers. It's just because when you get five, if you're averaging five yards a carry for your first five guys, it's because they're not getting touched until three or four yards, which is a really good, I mean, that's why the running game can work. I was the first one to say a dislocated hip would hurt really bad. Um, Second time he's done it. Oh, oh I'd oh. hang him up. Mm. I would hang him up. Ouch. No, sir, I'm done. Ouch. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I was going to say, though, Michael, is that Iowa State's a, a, a very young team. You know, we we play 25, I think, freshmen. Um, I don't really know much about Kansas. So what is yeah. 
tell, tell me more about Kansas. Like, are they, is their offensive line older? Obviously we know yeah. Jason Bean's been around for a little bit. Devin Neal's been around for a little bit. What, what, what are they like though? Are they, uh, are they old, young? Tell me more. Yeah. So I think it's kind of the, what, when Iowa state was at its, I don't know, I want to say peak, but you know, in 2020, 2021, Iowa state was old mm-hmm. and they had a lot of super seniors and guys that were upperclassmen who played a lot of football. And that's exactly what this team is. The last time KU went into Ames, they were the youngest power five team. And they've had some of the the fewest amount of transfers of anyone in the conference or the country. So they've had these guys in the program for a long time. And you look at the offensive line, they're going to lose two guys after this year because of their, they're in their COVID years right now. They're going to lose a tight end. They're going to bring back all their wide receivers. But these are all guys now, especially on offense, that have had time to develop in this system. And so it's very complex. It asks a lot of their players, right? They run a lot of different concepts. And so they're old now and they all understand kind of what is expected of them. So on offense, they're old. They're very experienced, right? They have the most returning production of any team on offense in the country. Defensively, they are at the age now where there are certain positions where they're very old. You know, linebacker, they're going to lose two guys. They're going to lose a guy at safety. They'll lose a guy at defensive tackle. But they're kind of in this transitional phase where the defensive line now is a bunch of new faces. They went into portal, got two defensive tackles in Devin Phillips and Gage Keys. Two guys have been really good this year. A defensive end in Austin Booker from Minnesota, a couple other defensive ends from the portal, um, and they're new faces. So I think generally this is an older team. But it's still a team that if you look to next year, they can still return a lot. They may not be number one in the country in returning production, but they'll be in the top third. So it's a team that's kind of it's riding this fine margin right now where it's guys that have been around for a long time, but also have years left. And so it's kind of just this nice little blend. Well, it's good, too, because Leipold, you know, obviously establishing a new culture. It's good to have, you know, some guys that have been there around around for a bit and, and, and some newer guys, too. And um, we don't need to dive into special teams just yet, but. Older guys, I did see that you guys have a uh, true freshman punter who's Hey-o. 23. Yeah, Damon Greaves, Aussie. Um, that's something that you needed to fix. Their punting game was awful last year, awful. And they've been able to do more with it where, you know, this guy can do different punts. Like, it's not just, all right, man, just kick as hard and as far as you can. Like, they're executing different things and – it's just a weapon that KU's not had on special teams, and they've really struggled on special teams overall. But yeah, Damon Greaves. Are you talking um, about this year? They've struggled on special teams? No, no. Last oh, year, okay. they lost games last year on special teams. They lost them. Like they were Iowa terrible. State lost a game against Kansas on special teams last year. If we're talking that about special did. teams, yeah. is there That's a new kicker? Awesome. There's a new kicker, right? Yeah, and he's killing it, man. So I thought. Uh, what? I mean, independent. Do you got any more special teams questions? I've always got special teams questions. Uh, you can ask for special teams questions. It's, it's, a, it's more of a, a broad strokes question. Okay. If, well, we can do it. You want, you want to wrap up special teams and then dive yeah. into your broad strokes? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned the punter. He does different things. So is he, he's from Australia. So is he doing the rugby style rollouts? Is he doing a straight on punt? You know, what, what kind of, is he turning around backwards and kicking over his head? Like, what are we, you know, what's bicycle what's, kick? Yeah, yeah he's doing bicycle kicks in, in, yep. in the uh, wow. way way back there. No, so they are doing traditional punts. They have done a couple times where they've tried to do some of the rugby style, but it is very traditional. And what they're trying to do is find this balance of kicking it as high as you can, but also trying to get a certain distance where all that matters is fair catching. Like I've not looked this week, but I believe entering last week, KU had allowed zero return yards on punts. Oh, wow. Because all they're doing is kicking it as high as they can and getting guys down the field. So they're averaging, I think, like 42 yards net per punt, but they're really not allowing any sort of returns. They're mitigating any sort of big play or field flipping the opposing team can do. And 
I think that's exactly what KU's trying to do, right? They're trying to limit the mistakes, widen the margins as much as you can. Don't give the other team a chance to make one of your guys miss, and then all of a sudden they're inside the, your territory. So I think punting-wise, they've really tried to find this nice balance, and so far they've been able to do it. It was a slow start for Damon to start the year, but as time has gone on, I think he's really gained some confidence and is playing pretty well right now. Well, I saw he doesn't have any touchbacks on the year, and, and six of his 17 punts have been inside the 20. So, yeah, yeah I think he's Good playing very well. Um, we can dive into the kicker, too. Um, as, as well, too. It's so the most I, important position in the field. You're damn right it is. So I see that Seth Keller is a senior transfer from Texas State. Yeah. Um, he's only attempted his he's nine of eleven in the year. His long of, a long of forty four hasn't attempted anything over forty four. Interesting. Not right? nine of yeah. No. No. You're right. I feel like he should have kicked more. This is just me thinking because I'll tell you what, guys. Like the field goal kicking unit has not been very good lately. Um, this is something the last three games that it's kind of started to, um be an issue. So you go back to the UCF game and KU's winning by a lot and they decide to put in um, the backup kicker and he's a lefty compared to Seth Keller being a righty. Different. That's tough. That's tough tough for a holder. Did the holder change or they keep the holder in? Same holder. That's tough. Well, of course it's a bad hold. It's like, it's like having a first baseman be like, all right, now you're catching with your right hand. Yeah. Catcher's mitt. Yeah. So they, they same holder, I believe. And so they, they messed that up and then they put Keller back in later in the game and he kicks it low. So his angles are, are very low. He's also a kind of a, a short King, if you will. Notice um, that. Let's go Blake, Blake group of fans out there. So he, he's a little smaller. So he kicks it really low. And then I think it was UCF had some guys with length, got their hands up, blocked it. And then you go to Oklahoma state and it was an abject disaster, like missed point afters, um, another muffed one like it was bad and then this past week keller makes two of his shorter ones but then one of his longer ones i believe was 42 yards he was short and right so short on confidence yeah uh, there was some wind and it was Mm. wet so i'm i'm struggling (laughs) understand what is going on (laughs) with that so it's one of those where confidence like i don't know if this unit is going into this game with like yeah we're gonna kill it yeah, and him entering the environment that that is the Jack Tri Stadium. Seth Keller's about In to be the duck. Yeah, okay, uh, not to you, Jeff. I'm, I'm done. That's all. I need. I'm out of here, guys. <laughs> uh, the questions I was interested in asking. So, mm-hmm. um, Kansas has against Oklahoma. They have big noon kickoff. The Sooners mm-hmm. are coming to town for the last time. You have this Dylan Gabriel. He's this Heisman guy, and we're gonna we're gonna take him down a peg. And then it's this close game, and there's turnovers everywhere, and it's like made for TV movie. And Oklahoma's a chance to win it, and they don't. And then they Kansas fans storm the field, and they throw the goalpost in the. And now they have to generate that energy again, mm-hmm. and they have to come up to Ames and generate that energy on the road against a team that's roughly the same quality as the one that just happened. So, what is? what have they said about avoiding a letdown? And I don't know if you, you have a letdown game conversation against a team that's four and one in conference, but like, for sure, what are you, what's your thought or feeling on the energy level of this program? And is there some like, man, we just had this crazy finish and now we have to go out and do it again. Yeah. I, Lance Lapple talks about that with us on Monday. You know, he talks about every week, you know, got to flush it and get back to work. And I think, Last season, KU did a really good job in those first five games when they were 5-0 and of flushing it and moving on. 
in coming out with intensity the next week. And this season, it's been a roller coaster where they beat Illinois, then they go on the road and kind of drop it the ball against Nevada. Then they go back home. They they beat BYU, but then they go on the road and lose to Texas. Then they come back home, destroy UCF. Then they're down 14 nothing at Oklahoma State the next week. So it's been a a flowy season where there's ups and downs. And I think Lance Lapel wants his team to go out there, like you said, and and attack and bring that same energy and that same intensity because KU's in a spot now where look, they play Iowa State, they play K-State, they can technically play their way into competing for a spot in the title game if they win these games. And it's going to come down to do you kind of have that championship mentality? of that's last week. We now go into this new week with a new environment, ready to embrace it and give it our all. So it's going to be a huge test because again, this is a team that's not started well on the road. It's a team that hasn't beaten a, a, a power five team on the road since week two of last season at West Virginia. You know, they've struggled on the road just generally. So it's a game that I think Lance Leipold is going to have a lot to point to in recent weeks and saying, hey, we need to be better on the road. If you guys want to achieve the things you've said you want to achieve, you got to bring it. And so it'll be up to them to make sure that happens. That's what I was going to say, too, that um, they've had three, Kansas had three road games this year. Two of them have been losses. And then mm-hmm. the one uh, the one was victory that, was was Nevada, at Nevada. Nevada yeah. which is it was a terrible so performance. Yeah. Interesting. So that, that might be something to keep in mind on Saturday. Yeah. What is one thing I'm interested in, and we haven't asked every uh, guest on this because still trying to find the footing on it just because you're like the sixth guest. So congratulations on being top 10. Top 10. Um, but one thing I'm interested in when you're, when you have a team now, granted reporters are neutral. It's not like you're, you're not rooting for or against it. Winning makes your job easier. So like, obviously you, the team wins, you get more interested, you get more clicks. It's better for you. But like, um, independent of kind of the you being a neutral kind of observer Mm -hmm. of the animals at the zoo what is the feeling going into this game from the kansas fan base and what are the expectations for this friday because i would say for iowa state fans it feels like this is a game that they're expecting to win it's not like iowa state's expecting like two years ago when they came up here it was like 42 to zero at halftime like it's not nowhere near expecting that they recognize Mm -hmm. that kansas is better than that but they are expecting to win the game. What is the is the Kansas fans' expectation of yeah. this game? I think they are expecting to win because I think <laughs> I you know it's, right. You got two fan bases that are going into this saying we're going to win sorry, this game. I, and I, someone... I have to pause you real quick just because for those that are just only listening to audio, they just heard me laugh at that response. I'm not laughing at that response. I'm laughing because Grant had to be restrained from jumping at the TV for the idea that somebody could have considered winning. In oh, dare them? And no. Continue. It's impossible um yeah i think they do think they're gonna win and you know look i think sometimes you look at early in the season and then you kind of flush things out as big 12 play starts and look this has been the traditional iowa state matt campbell season right bad september they put it together in october and then by the time late october comes they're in a spot to compete for a spot in big 12 title like this i've been around it like this is how it goes sometimes and so i think fans pay attention in September and then conference play starts and it's kind of, you know, you focus more on Kansas and the chiefs are on and other things that are going on. So I think sometimes maybe the, they can be overlooked, but I think Kansas fans have the confidence that, Hey, if they can play like they did against Oklahoma um, or better that they can win this game. And I think, you know, the betting spread shows it, right? It's going to be close or it should be close. And so it's kind of one of these coin flip games and it's going to come down to, I think, which quarterback makes a fewer amount of mistakes. Last question for me. Um, is Hunter Dickinson 
as 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 arrogant in person as he seems through interviews you know not not i've not picked okay. up on that okay i i think you sense confidence i'm not sure if it's arrogance okay i think he's got a lot of self-belief in himself and i think it's different i've been i've seen arrogant players in person before yeah it's not that it's not i'm yeah. it's not the oh i'm better than you i'm looking down at you it's like yeah i'll sit here and talk to you i know that i am better than x y and z people that are out there um he's entertaining to cover though he's entertaining to cover Big Rob Jones is going to steal his lunch and stuff him in a locker that steals his girlfriend. Hey, look at Armando Baycott. <laughs> what do he do, Armando Baycott? That's right. Robert he, Jones. He, he's Bob still playing Jones. at Iowa State. Big Hell yeah, yeah, Bob yeah, Jones. He he's our Perry Ellis, baby. <laughs> I remember when he got he came with TJ. That's yeah, so funny. Yeah. I his first time at Iowa State. Yeah. <laughs> 16 <laughs> years ago, Bob Jones still in the same minivan. Uh, you got anything else, Grant? I don't. This is this is good. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you hopping on, man. It's always good to hear, you know, kind of a behind the curtains look at uh, you know the opponent. So I appreciate yeah, your thanks, time. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it and always enjoy the stuff you guys do at Cyclone Fanatic. All right. Thanks, Mike. That was Michael Swain of two four seven down there waving the wheat in Lawrence, Kansas. We appreciate him hopping on. Good That's dude. Fun. Yeah. Uh, former good. former Iowa Stater. So yeah, interesting insight because he um he mentioned off air that he, you know, obviously covered, you know, Wilch and um Eli Sanders and you know the guys that are playing now for Iowa State so it's interesting I'm sure from his point of view to see you know the guys he covered recruiting now playing on the uh opposing team yeah so that was uh it's also good insight because I I I was expecting you know asking the what is the expectations of the fan base I would expect if I'm a Kansas fan coming off the Oklahoma win you don't go and be like I'm probably gonna lose to Iowa State now like I would expect them to expect to win which I think you want Mm -hmm. uh because it makes the loss more crushing that's right uh, so anyway, thanks to Michael Swain, 247, uh, on the Goldfinch Athletics interview on Kicking It. We're going to be back next week, hopefully after Iowa State gets a win and then brings themselves into a three-way tie for first place going into November, which would just just A+. plus. Playing meaning, meaningful ball in November. That's what you want. All right, everybody. That's what you want on your ball club. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners still listening. And remember, adopt, don't shop.